Sometimes there's not words after uh, all of that, right? I did feel like as we were focusing and the Lord was revealing his holiness, his love, his healing. Um, and, and I don't know all of what God is doing in any given moment. And I don't know who this is for, um, but I just feel like I'm supposed to say this before we start the sermon. Um, there's somebody here in the room that is hanging on by a thread and is about to just give up on everything. And uh, God hears you. He hears you when you call out and he hears you when you don't call out. You are not forsaken. You are not alone. And he wants to do something to bring you hope and life and healing today. He did that for John when John was in his 80s exiled to an island and he will do that for all of us today. Because you may not be in as desperate a state as what I said at the very beginning, but uh, man, life throws curveballs, right? And uh, it's hard to hit those curveballs sometimes. It's hard to get out of the way of those curveballs sometimes. So, uh, you know, the most important thing that we have is the word of God and the spirit of God and the person of God in Jesus. And uh, he comes and finds us when we get lost, when we lose our way, and when we're off center. And uh, heaven knows how often I know I can get off center. Chances are it's possible you may struggle with that as well. If you do, let this moment that already has happened and then the continuation of the service center your eyes on the Savior. Let's pray. Father, thank you that your son is. He was and is and is to come, the Alpha and the Omega, the author and finisher of our faith. And as we set out to continue this race you have called us to run. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us and let us run our race fixing our eyes on your son Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Um. Depending on your personality, uh, maybe you have not done anything super reckless, or maybe you do a reckless thing on the weekly basis. Sometimes you may do something reckless just because you're an adrenaline rush junkie, 
and you're just like, I just, I just want to see what this looks like. And, and that's how, you know, skydiving companies make big time money is just people just want to jump out of airplanes. And sometimes you can do something quote unquote reckless or daredevilish just because of the rush. And then other times there is a deeper, greater purpose in it. You calculate the current risk, but you also look at the potential gain, okay? Um, I said this last year, so I guess I'll say it again this year. It's kind of a fun thing for our community. Monday night, tomorrow night, if you don't have plans, you can come out to Westfield where Alton High Boys Soccer will play Marquette Boys Soccer in a very fun, friendly rivalry game of sorts. But my son plays for Alton High, which kind of, you know, here's my cards. That's who I'll be cheering for. But... There is a certain player on Alton High's team that is crazy fast and runs through brick walls. We have said before that if he can't score the ball, he's going to score himself. He just keeps on going. And the intention, it appears, is that he sees the greater good or he just doesn't really think through everything and just bulldozes through he either looks amazing or horrible, depending on if he's successful in getting the ball and shooting and running into somebody and dodging somebody. But that's a sports game about a ball. Not that it doesn't matter, okay? There'll be a lot of people that will feel like this game tomorrow night really, really matters. But in the grand scheme of eternity, What's it look like if we're willing to risk and go all out for a game with a ball? And when the Lord is calling us to say, there is a greater cause, a greater mission, a greater hope. And I'll put myself on this boat too, okay? We sit in a pew or on a chair and we're sitting on our hands because we want to make sure that we're looking around and going, I wonder if somebody else is going to raise their hand. I'm not really sure I'm going to go all out for this. And I think that sometimes the hesitation in going all out for the kingdom is because we are legitimately afraid the thing that Jesus calls us to is something you can't do apart from the Holy Spirit's power. So if you are assessing your skill, your experience, your education, and you're looking and going, I can't do that, one side of the coin, you're absolutely right. You can't. But the thing that you don't want to miss is but God in you and through you can. Whoever he calls to anything, he equips, he empowers. It's been said before that God cares not so much about your ability, but your availability. And that speaks a lot to our culture today, I think, 
when just things are just so stinking full when it comes to calendars? And have we taken our calendar and said, God, you are Lord of my time. You are Lord of my schedule. And if I need to take something away to behold your glory, help me. Help me to have faith to step away from that in order to be about you and your people and your kingdom. And help me. Um, and sometimes we just don't see the kingdom as more valuable than all the other things that we have on our plate. Um, Jesus says, and this is related to this shout to the Lord's son, which was bringing back like some 20 years plus of memories that I've had with the Lord. So thank you, whoever selected that song from our worship team. And this vision of nothing compares to you, like there's nothing more valuable than you. Jesus says in Matthew 13 that he who finds the treasure of the kingdom of God is like a person who is in a field and they're digging and they see the treasure and then they go and they put it back under the ground and they go and sell everything they have to buy that field because of the joy of being part of the kingdom. God wants you and I to see the kingdom as the most valuable thing in our lives. And I look and go, well, what kingdom, like, what, is, what does that mean exactly? Well, a kingdom is pretty pathetic without a king, right? He wants us to see King Jesus high and lifted up. Um, there are also a number of different ways that uh, people make money selling books about how you can be a better you. And I love the fact that people want to be a better them, and I want to be a better me, and you want to be a better you. But the answers to how you can be a better you, they kind of vary, right? Sometimes a better you is related to just time management. Just get control of your time, and everything will go better. Anybody tried that before? How's that work for you? Have there ever been unpredictable things that pop up? You have a perfect schedule, you have everything set up, and then all of a sudden something happens that doesn't just throw off your day, but could throw off your entire year. And then the book that I have that talks about time management makes you a better you. I just, I put it over in the corner and say, never mind, or... Maybe in five years, maybe when my kids are in college, maybe at some point I'll get there. Or, you know what a better you would be? Diet and exercise. Until you go to a birthday party or a wedding where there's incredible dessert and you go, it would be completely wrong for me not to enjoy this dessert because this is a celebratory time. So never mind, I'm not gonna do that. Or it could be, you know what? By sheer willpower and self-discipline, you can make yourself a better you. I think I heard an out loud laugh there. Appropriate. 
New Year's resolutions for most people don't last past the end of March. And that's if you're really good. If we're really honest, it may be like January 15th. Those New Year's resolutions are going, uh, never mind, I, I didn't mean it. There's a religious way for people to attempt to be better too. And uh, there's a system by which we can say, okay, I'm going to wake up at fill in the blank time. I'm going to pray. I'm going to read the word. And I'm going to come up with a list of these things I will do and these things I won't do. And I am going to earn the favor and blessing of God by my sheer willpower. Now, there is definitely a time and place for dedicated time with the Lord. And there are blessings that come with making him first. But it doesn't take me very long when I'm consistently in that rhythm before I go, wow, I'm really doing a good job here, God. Aren't you proud of me? Look at how many times I have consistently opened up the Bible and read it. Sure, pretty proud and happy to have me on your team, right, Jesus? And Jesus goes, Stephen, it's not about what you do or who you are or a better you because in all of those attempts to make yourself a better you, the focus is you. I want to free you from you. And the way that I can free you from you is to get you to look at something or better, someone better than you. But too many times, even when we think about good motivations for self-improvement, it's, we're still looking at ourselves in the mirror or maybe we're looking at someone else that we aspire to be, and I think that's right to have heroes. But it's wrong if your key hero isn't Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. And then the other interesting thing here is, guys, uh, some things you learn with time and experience and age but King Jesus knew that John, after living an incredible life of walking with the Lord when he was in his 80s, still needed to see a picture of Jesus high and lifted up. You will never graduate out of your need to see Jesus high and lifted up. Do not think, yada, 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 I already know that. John 3.16 is a verse that everybody knows, but I don't know how many people are gripped by it because it's so familiar. If you really meditate even on that verse and the truth therein, it'll, it'll blow you away in all of the best ways. So we're going to get a, a picture of Jesus here. First, sorry, Revelation chapter one, beginning with verse nine. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation 
and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a, in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatra and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a lawn robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white like wool, as white as snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp, two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun, shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades, Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are the, those, sorry, those that are the, goodness, to take place after this, as far as the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Let's pray. Father, continue to reveal your son through your word and through your spirit and help us to recognize he is what life is all about. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I mentioned the all-high soccer player that is willing to take risks and run into things and people, and everything else. And I think the dude's even chipped a tooth or broken a tooth within the last season. John, the apostle, has taken some risk throughout his entire life. From the moment that he met Jesus, and John the Baptist pointed out, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John saw this vision and picture of Jesus and said, he's worth the risk. I am able to say no to a lot of things culture would tempt me to say yes to because I believe that he is worth more. Doesn't mean that John didn't have problems through his life. He and his brother James were called the sons of thunder. Apparently they had anger issues. And when they felt like people weren't really following Jesus the way they were, they said, hey, Jesus, you want us to do a favor? Uh, we'll call down a lightning bolt and a thunder and we'll just annihilate these people. And Jesus is like, no, guys, no. Okay. Just because you've not done it 
well before doesn't mean that his mercies aren't new today and that there's not an invitation for you to walk with him again today. One of the things Jesus is, is a restorer. And he will restore, says the years that the locusts have eaten, he can make all things new. Do not let the enemy of your soul convince you to think, I am so disqualified, I'm just going to throw in the towel. It's about him. And he's inviting all of us today to say, take a risk for me. John never stopped preaching about Jesus. He says that he's on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Guys, I don't know about you. But sometimes I keep my mouth shut about Jesus simply because I'm like, well, you know, I mean, that person doesn't really believe, so they probably don't want to hear about it. Now, there is a way to enter into a relationship and a conversation that's positive, and then there's a way that's not so positive, such as, hey, you stupid idiot, the Bible's true, what's wrong with you? And you knock them upside their head. That doesn't work very well. Jesus himself didn't do that. But in everything Jesus is doing is continually pointing to his father. And every interaction he has, he's asking the Holy Spirit to fill him. But get this. I have a feeling that the Apostle John, along with all the other apostles, if they wanted to save their earthly life and experience more earthly comfort, all they would have had to do was to say, hey, a government that doesn't like us talking about Jesus, Jews that don't like us talking about Jesus, we get it, we'll tone it down, we'll calm down, we'll be quiet. And chances are John is not on this island, exiled. He says, no, Jesus is the hope of the world. How can I not not talk about him? So, this island of Patmos is about 40 to 60 miles, forgot which direction it is, from Ephesus. Ephesus is in modern-day Turkey. I did learn this past week, I always thought for some reason that the island of Patmos was a deserted island. It wasn't actually deserted. It was like six miles long by 10 miles wide, or maybe that's the other way, but it's, it's, it's a small island but there was actually a temple to some other god or goddess on the island, and there were a handful of people there. But the thing is, he's not where he wants to be. Have you ever been in a situation where the sovereignty of God or your circumstances have you in a place you don't want to be? And there's nothing you can do about it other than your attitude and perspective about, okay, I've got two options here. I can say, hey, God, I don't really want to be here, but I trust that you're sovereign over everything and there's a reason why I'm here. It's just because I saw a few people that are school-aged, okay? Let's just say school. I also know there are some teachers in the room. Let's say school. 
okay? A situation where, you know what? I don't really know that I want to be here today in this moment. And you could say, wait, God, you knew I was supposed to be at school today. You knew I was supposed to be at my job today. Help me see you in the midst of this thing that I don't really want to do. Or you could just bite down and go, I hate this. This is so stupid. I'm so miserable right now. I see nothing good in this. Chances are you're going to you're going to experience what you, you see, what your perspective is in that moment. Which leads us to the next point. He's exiled on the island of Patmos, but he says, I'm your brother and I'm your partner in the tribulation. And nobody's going to like this word. And two words, the patient endurance. I flirt with long distance running. It doesn't like me back. And most days, I don't like it. But a great description of patient endurance for me, which often doesn't happen, is if I'm running 10 plus miles. Things happen. Muscles you did not know you had begin to hurt. It's not easy. But guys... Whether you like long distance running, you flirt with it, or you avoid it with a 10-foot pole, life is sometimes patient endurance. But then there is this invitation that we have to tap into the one that endured unto death or to say, you know what? It's not worth it. I'm going to go find some quick fix to self-medicate the pain and difficulty I'm going through right now. So John says, I'm with you, churches, in this. I'm experiencing this. And in case you didn't know, I am exiled to an island. This is, this is the risk I took. This is the consequence of the risk. But by God's grace, he's not pulling his hair out going, God, I hate it here. It says, on the Lord's day, he was in the spirit. I don't fully know how to describe that or explain that. And there's a part of me that is very thankful I don't. When we're talking about the Holy Spirit, and you find somebody that wants to explain every piece and part of the Holy Spirit, there's a good chance they don't really understand the Holy Spirit at all. And they're a little freaked out by it, and they want to be comfortable, and they want to be controlled, so they go, well, the Holy Spirit works this way, and this way, and this way, and this way. Guys, I myself don't work this way, and this way, and this way, and this way. If I can't control myself, what makes me think I can control the sovereign spirit of God? He works outside the box in all the best ways. But it was also challenging for me who on occasion, thankfully not today, but on occasion find myself even behind the pulpit going, hey God, I don't know if I really want to be here in this space right now. Thinking to myself, 
John on the Lord's day, which is a reference to the day that Jesus rose from the dead, the day that everything changed, a Sunday, John is in the spirit. Jesus says, and John records in John chapter four, that true worshipers, the one that the father seeks, are those who worship God in spirit and in truth. Are you in the spirit today? Some people go like, I don't really know even what that means. Does that mean I'm supposed to raise my hands? Maybe, if the Holy Spirit tells you to, yes, definitely. What you're called to do is to respond to the initiating love of God by the Holy Spirit. I, I, I wrestled with how I started today, okay? It wasn't in my plan to say, I just feel like I'm supposed to say there's someone in the building that is hanging on by a thread. I feel very strongly, though, that the Holy Spirit gave me that word. Okay, God, you said this. Help me to be faithful to the message that you initiated. And the cool thing is, guys, I don't and you don't ever have to know this side of heaven, how the Holy Spirit works and ministers. So much of like, I think what we as people, if we found out the ways God moves through us, this side of heaven, it would go to our head. We'd blow up. We would begin to take credit as some incredible channel or instrument of God's love. Like ignorance is bliss sometimes. Let Jesus be the hero. Let him get the glory. He is the man, the God man. He is the chief shepherd of the sheep. So John's in the spirit. Here's what I can tell you it does do in me. It does give me a desire to say, God, help me know what it means to be in the spirit. I think I like this because you know what happens? He's in the spirit and he sees this new revelation of Jesus. I'm like, you know what? I, I could really benefit by a new revelation of Jesus. Help me to see and experience a new revelation of Jesus. And guys, sometimes we just settle for less. There is a life principle of, in so many things, you get out of something what you put into something, okay? And back to school, my teachers, many of them took attendance. You hear your name, you go here, and then sometimes you say present. And guys, so many days in school, I was physically present, but not mentally and, you know, engaged. My, my mind wasn't there. I, I, I didn't really feel in the moment that. It's an invitation to say, be aware of God all around you in the spirit. And guys, that doesn't, if that only happens here for you, if this is the only time in your life where you think, help me be in the spirit, you're settling for an hour and a half a week. How many hours are there in a week? 256, is that right? There's a lot of hours in a week. Don't just settle for, well, now I'm going to church and doing my church thing. Let your church thing be the rally call of the week 
where you say, God, I want to be in the spirit. I want to see you at work in and around me and all the places I'm excited to go to and all the circumstantial places I have to go to and don't really want to go to, but I feel you in those moments. So he's in the spirit and he hears a trumpet. Guys, there is going to be a final trumpet call when Jesus comes back. A trumpet is an announcement of of good news, but it also gets attention very effectively. But it has made me wonder, like, is it possible, Holy Spirit, that you would sound a trumpet and some people hear it, but others miss it? Because there's a failure to be in the spirit of failure to ask God, God, give me an ear to hear what you're doing. Help me hear the trumpet. It says, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches. I promise this is going to be, uh, hey, all right, so this probably shouldn't happen, but I just got a message. There's 168 hours in a week. And a math teacher from our church family sent me that. Thank you. Let those of you who know our church family well determine who that might be. But even if it's 90 minutes out of 168 hours, right? Is it really worth it? Only to experience and be in the spirit. Only in these moments. Or to even prepare ourselves for that. Only in these moments. So it says, write what you see in a book. Um, one of my favorite movies, and I need to watch it again, is Christopher Robin, which is Christopher Robin as an adult, and Winnie the Pooh has to visit him because as an adult, he got really wrapped up with all of just the, the work of life. He forget, forgot how to have imagination. He forgot how to play. He was just too busy for all of those silly things. So they're in this train, and Winnie the Pooh sitting next to Christopher Robin, and he goes, let's play a game called Say What You See, which if you're busy at work and an adult that forgets just pure joy and imagination, you're going to look at Winnie the Pooh and go, that is the stupidest thing in the world. I have important things to do. So Winnie the Pooh doesn't take any of the hints. He just continues to persevere. He's looking out the window and he goes, tree, grass, flower, bird, house. He's just listing it. All this very random, very simple things, but you can tell as he's saying these things out loud, the joy that he's experiencing in just simply saying what he sees. Guys, do you realize how many amazing things our eyes behold every single day? Now, this is a beholding Jesus, the Son of God. And we'll dive into that in just a second. But before we do, I feel like I should pause and say there are amazing things around us all the time. And Christ's followers ought to be the best at identifying those things. So maybe an assignment for y'all is to go home and play the game called Say What You See. 
but also know that there are competing voices that are trying to take your head and mine and point them other directions, okay? Let's just say the 24-hour news cycle, guys. There is no such thing as news without an agenda and without a spin. Everybody wants you to focus and center in on whatever it is that they think is going to provide the most attention. I don't want to be in the news. I want to be in the spirit. And when I'm in the spirit, I can watch and listen to the news in a different way that won't discourage and debilitate me in the same way as if I'm listening to the news, not in the spirit. I am remembering as I hear things that are bad, that do happen this side of heaven. Oh, but wait, there's a king that's still on the throne and he's faithful to never leave or forsake his people. And one day the trumpet's gonna blast and he's coming for us. Now, I said in a Tuesday morning Bible study, that as we were highlighting what happens at the end, the good news is we know the end chapter. That doesn't mean that every chapter along the way is easy. Some chapters can be excruciatingly painful and difficult. We suffer the consequences of sin and sickness and separation and challenge here. But... This book, not only in the final chapter, not only in the final book of this book, but all throughout it, is continually saying, in the spirit, I'm in charge and I love you. And guys, when the person in charge loves us, it is good news to know that person is in charge. So, He's supposed to write down in the book and send it to the seven churches. I did not get a revelation of Jesus described this way like John did, but I did get a revelation of Jesus described this way because John was faithful to write down what he saw and you did too. That if you read what Jesus says What John says about Jesus in the picture, you get to experience the same things that he saw. And you can ask the Lord as you read the word, keep me in the spirit so I see and experience everything John saw and experienced. What does he see? Turns and sees seven golden lampstands. I had flashbacks of another movie I like called Aladdin. And then I discovered that I don't know if the lampstand is like the, you know, the lamp that you rub and boom, the genie comes out. I actually heard it's more kind of like on a pole, and, and, but it's light and it illuminates. And that in the temple, the Holy of Holies had no windows and the light in the temple was from lampstands and a priestly role. The role of the high priest was to make sure those lamps didn't come out, that there was illumination, that there was light penetrating the darkness. We find out in verse 20 that the lampstands represent the churches. Um, was involved in a, officiating a wedding yesterday. It was really cool as a former student from Evangelical, and we have worship 
services on Wednesday where you light the candles. They're called the acolytes. And uh, these, these two former evangelical students are, are walking down and they're lighting the candles. But you know what's really funny? They did that when they were in fourth grade and they were freaked out in fourth grade. What if, the can- what if it goes out? Something's never changed. Here it's some 20 some years later and they're talking to each other. What if it goes out? How embarrassing would that be? One of the groomsmen hands them a lighter that they put in their pocket. Like, hey, you got backup. They're concerned about a candle going out or not. Not that that's not something to be concerned about, especially when everybody's watching you and it's your be- one of your best friend's wedding. I get all those things. But guys, too often, and I'll say I, I get concerned about, well, what if our church isn't really on your page, Jesus? What if we're not really about what you want us to be about in the community and the world? And those are good questions to ask. And when I ask those things, God usually does kind of realign my selfish agenda with his good agenda. But at the end of the day, Jesus also wants me to know, you are not the one responsible for keeping the light on. I do that. I got you. And as long as you continue to point to me, I'm not going to snuff you out. Now, let me also say the other side of that coin. The moment that you stop pointing to me, I will snuff your light out. Jesus is the light of the world. It is through Jesus that we come to the Father, and no one comes to the Father apart from him. And any church or organization that does not say those things is missing the light of the world. He's got the lampstands. He is clothed with a lawn robe and a golden sash. All of these things mean highly significant things from the Old Testament that uh, we're not going to have ample time to go into. Uh, If you want to do a little more reading and digging, look at Revelation 1 and Daniel chapter 10 where Daniel gets a picture of a theophany of God with a lot of the same symbolism and meaning. What I want to highlight here, though, is this is not Jesus meek and mild with long flowing hair and blue eyes. This is not the Jesus of, um, and Natalie in her uh, email writing kind of highlighted some of this, from the chosen Um, Although I I do think that there's benefit in a number of ways that we get scripture communicated across. But Jesus has not been described as fire coming out of his eyes and a sword coming out of his mouth. Like this is pretty intense stuff. And it's so intense that John falls down as though dead. He's freaked out. He's encountering the pure holiness of God. Of God. And if you look at verse 17, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he laid his right hand on me. 
that the transcendent God becomes imminent and close to us and puts his hand on our shoulder, his right hand. Isaiah tells us that he upholds us with his righteous right hand. Here's the right hand and say, I got you. You saw how powerful and mighty I am, but I am also love and I'm merciful and I'm full of grace and truth and I got you. Keep in mind, John's in a place that's difficult for him to be. And not only does he get the revelation, but he gets the touch. So uh, when was the last time that you got a touch from Jesus? I will tell you something many of you know. It has been proven that when babies are little, if they experience a lack of touch, they do not thrive. And for some reason, maybe because we all have the Christopher Robin syndrome into adulthood, we tend to think that we reach a certain age or a certain maturity where oh, I don't really need any of that. I don't know that you ever grow out of that either that you have a good God-given need to experience his touch. And so often the touch of God will come through another person, a brother or sister in Christ. And just like a picture is worth a thousand words, a thousand words, which I probably have said so far in this sermon, are not as powerful as a look in the eye, as a hug, as a handshake, as a holding hands and praying. God has not left you and I alone. And when the apostle John felt like he was all alone, Jesus, in some amazing way, touches him. And I believe, because the Holy Spirit does work outside the box, that in that moment, John felt the touch of the Savior. And it reminisced back to him when Jesus was walking with him and they were fishing together and they were dancing at a wedding and he turned water into wine and there was the miraculous catch of fish and there was all of these amazing experiences that John experienced with Jesus, it just brought it all back again. He wants to bring it all back again and again. I uh, shared some kind of deep things with a few people this past week, just uh, being honest and real and um, one thing that a brother said to me that has resonated ever since as, as a prayer, as God, romance him back to you. And I, I think maybe because I don't use that word romance very often, I do think I tend to be a romantic, but I just don't use the word. That that word stuck. And 
I'm like, wow, God, yeah. My heart got cynical and hard and hurt, actually got hurt first. And then I got cynical and I got hard. And I began to project some things on you, God, that aren't you. And I began to project some things on some other people that aren't them. And you're romancing me back continually. You're showing me, Jesus, that you're high and lifted up, but you're also near and close, and you're a touch away. Guys, you need that. I need that. Christopher Robin needs that. So let the Winnie the Pooh of the Holy Spirit come to you. Sorry, couldn't help it. (laughs) Guys, the end of it all, really, though, If we are a people who have seen Jesus and his glory, he's worth the risk. And he's inviting you and I just to be available to him and to respond as he reveals to us his love, his grace, and his power. There are a lot of ways to respond to a message like this. One thing we're going to do for sure is we're going to meet him at the table. One thing that was really neat about this couple that got married yesterday, and it was the first request I've had, and I've done a lot of weddings. They wanted to take communion together as one of the first things that they did after they were pronounced husband and wife. And uh, in order to do that, we actually went outside the church building and it was just a few people involved in that moment. And as they were involved in that, um, just this reminder of this this touch that in some way, that's simply just bread and juice. And in another way, Jesus says, I want you to taste and see that I'm good. I want you to be reminded that I came so near to you. And when you had the guilty verdict put on you, I stood in front of you and I said, no, not him, not her, me. You take me to that cross. I'm the only one that can die meeting all of the things that need to be met. He was dead. He was killed so that we would have life. And just to prove it, said, hey, I'm the one who was the living one. I was dead and now I'm alive again. And there's a, a touch that we're invited into for that. But also as we talk about this touch of God, um, the other thing I saw on the wedding yesterday is every single groomsman as they're walking down the aisle they're giving the groom a huge hug and this like crazy backslap that is so loud that like everybody in the room hears it's a celebration it's joy but it's also I think the statement that says I stand with you today, but not just today. Because wedding days are almost always happy. 
marriage days have a mix, right? And to know that life has a mix and that you've got people that stand with you and are willing to give you that touch of healing and hope. Amen. And guys, when that happens, when people see the love that God has filled us with and we love each other that way, the world goes, my heart and soul are hungry for that. I want that too. So uh, the way we love each other is one of the most powerful evangelistic tools we have. Let's love each other. I'm gonna invite those who are gonna help serve communion to come. And if Jesus has touched you with the hope of healing and salvation, then this table is yours. You're invited to this table by him. And on the night that he was betrayed by his friends, even when his friends fall short, he doesn't, he stands by us. He took the bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body broken for you. He took the cup, poured it out and said, this is my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins to make you right. My touch makes you right. As often as you eat from this bread and you drink of this cup, you proclaim my death until I come again. Whenever he says, until I come again, he's not only saying you proclaim my death, you also proclaim the fact I have overcome death. I am alive again. If that's your confession, if that's your testimony, then meet Jesus by way of the spirit at this table. And then the other thing is guys, just in these moments of response, be in the spirit as he prompts you He may prompt you to go hug somebody. He may prompt you to come down and kneel. He may prompt you to raise your hands. Be in the spirit. He'll meet you there in the spirit.
it with that touch. Let him administer healing to your heart, your soul, your mind, your body. He's faithful. He's kind. He's good. And he never, ever lets his children go. He never, ever abandons us. He sees you. He knows you. And he holds you today.
does indeed deserve it all. Sometimes we forget. And when we do, he's gentle to remind us. He's got us. And uh, I talked about just answering those calls that God places on your life. Uh, We have another really awesome worship service we get to participate in next week. We're going to get to witness some baptisms. And for some of you, uh, maybe that's been something that you've heard off and on, but you haven't responded to. Get in touch with us. We're doing at least two this coming week. So uh, be in touch with us this week. Um, And then if the Lord touched you, if he spoke to you, and you would like someone from our church family to follow up with you, there are these cards. Just write your name, your number. We'll be in touch with you over the course of the next week. Um, And then it's hard not to jump to the final chapter. And I want to read just a few of these verses before we have our benediction today. Another thing that John was shown, says, the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Through the middle of the street of the city also on either side of the river, the tree of life. Remember the tree of knowledge of good and evil and then there was the tree of life. Adam and Eve didn't get the tree of life because they ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, but it's still there. With its 12 kinds of fruit yielding its fruit each month, the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Healing's coming, guys. Now partially then fully. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. And until that day, let's receive this benediction. Jesus, you're the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. You have defeated sin and death and the grave. And you're high and lifted up. You're risen and reigning, King of kings and Lord of lords. May we worship you in spirit and in truth until that day comes when you come back for us all. Fill us with your spirit and may we be in the spirit this week speaking of all the things we see you do around us and loving each other the way you love us. For your glory and in your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. God bless you.